If you have your Bibles, I want you to join me in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Today we're wrapping up our, our message series that I've titled Together. It's been a three-week journey through the values of our church. And next week, we're going to start a brand new series where we're going to take a walk through the book of Hebrews and do a 16-week study on the book of Hebrews. Fascinating book, rich, rich truths. Every time I read it, the God, God reveals more the depth of his character and his truth to me. And so it's going to be fun and I believe eye-opening to walk through that book together. We'll begin that series next week. But this has been a three-week journey through the values of our church, where we've taken a look at the three core values that come out of our mission statement as it currently stands. And our mission statement is to make disciples of Christ, who enjoy God fully together, are being transformed together, and demonstrate life in Christ together. And I said to you earlier, I said, you know, think about our three values as three sides of an equilateral triangle. Because although all three sides are postured or positioned differently, each side is of equal value. There's no one side that's more important than the other. And all three sides are vitally important as each side feeds and is affected by the other. Think of our values in terms of a triangle because triangle, the shape of a triangle, is very easy to remember. And I think it, it really does represent well-balanced truth. Our three values propel us forward into God's mission for us as a church. Okay. So by way of review, I'll go back to the first week where we talked about what does it mean to enjoy God. And I, I define enjoying God as living in truth. In the truth that God wants to be my greatest love and not my highest commitment. In the truth that God asked me to find and receive everything in him. In the truth that God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him. And then we moved last week into what it means to be transformed. I said being transformed is learning to trust. It's, it's trusting God to lead me into the richness of this new life that I find in Jesus Christ and can only be found in Christ and Christ alone. And I said trusting God is trusting that spiritual transformation is the process of becoming more and more like Jesus every day. Enjoy. Transform. Today we're going to look at our third value, demonstrating life in Christ together, and I've titled this series or this message, Laboring in Love. Laboring in Love. I like those two words, those two verbs, because, you know, labor and love, both those words require action. There's an action required. You can't labor on something without having an action, and you can't love without an action. How many of those that are in love know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Demonstration is, is our value of our mission, and it's a call that leads us into action. It's a call to action, the action of giving away what God has given us as we demonstrate life in Christ to the world around us. It's a call to action where we allow God to shape his life in us in a way that declares the truth 
of the gospel. And at the same time, as we give our lives away and we allow God to use us as a demonstration of his life, we position ourselves to be able to speak and to show and demonstrate that same life to others. It's a call to what is called lifestyle evangelism. Evangelism, by, by definition, is spreading the gospel to the public by preaching or by personal witness. So lifestyle evangelism is evangelizing the world around us through the way we live our lives. Demonstration. So here's what you need to know. Lifestyle evangelism is a personal privilege. It's not just a pastoral duty. We're all called to it. Lifestyle evangelism is incarnate living. It's personally fleshing out the gospel in our lives daily. Lifestyle evangelism is demonstrating life in Christ in both word and in deed. Demonstrating life together, family, demonstrating the life in Christ together is lifestyle evangelism. And it, it affirms the importance that we place on reaching out to a lost and dying and broken world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe that it's a personal call, a personal responsibility for every follower of Jesus Christ to be on a mission to incarnate the gospel of Christ, both by the words that we say and by the way we live our lives. You know, I was counseled by the Holy Spirit this week as I was preparing for for this sermon, and, and I have to tell you that it's easy as a pastor to get caught up in pastoral duties. It's easy to get lost in the day-to-day operations of the church. It's easy to get lost in counseling with others. It's easy to get lost with in being busy and, and losing out on your quality time with God. It's very, very easy. And it's easy to lose focus on what really matters, and that is the lost. That's our calling to take the gospel to the lost. Now, Carl Clausen used to say it this way, the lost people matter to God. Lost people matter to God, and it's our call to take the gospel to the lost, to the lost. We've been transformed, family, by the power of Jesus Christ's love for a reason. We've been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ's love for a purpose. We're not just saved so we have fire insurance. Let's go to the scriptures. Ephesians chapter 2, are you there? This passage had me doing some soul searching this week. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Did you hear that? 
This was our life before you came to Christ. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together. Everyone say together. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages we might, he, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And then Paul says it again. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God and not the result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. Three truths jump out at me, eternal truths jump out at me in this passage I just read. And here's the first. We are not saved by works. We are not saved by works. Our righteousness before God cannot be attributed or earned through our works. We're, we're only able to stand before a righteous, holy, just God of truth only by his grace as granted to us as we embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ and stand in his righteousness by placing our faith in him. So Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God and not the result of works so that no one may boast. Very simple yet profound. We are not saved by works. And at the same time, we're not saved from work. Work is good. How many of y'all know work is good? Work is good. And we're not saved from works. I love what the Bible tells us in 2 Thessalonians, where, where Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he said, if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. Now imagine if we lived our lives that way in the United States. Imagine if every lazy person didn't get, it, didn't get their meal. How different would our society be? That's practical. Work is good. The reality is that once we have been regenerate, as children of God, we become representatives of the kingdom of God. And in God's kingdom, family, there's work to be done. Jesus said it like this in Luke chapter 10. He tells us the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, everybody say laborers. But the laborers are few. He says, pray therefore earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And then the very next thing that he says in this passage is, I'm sending you. 
I'm sending you into the world. See, you and I are laborers that have been sent out into the harvest of the world. That's our call. That's the call on the life of every follower. So we are not saved by works. We're not saved from work. There's work to be done. We are saved into works. This is where we're going to nestle down and spend the majority of our time. Verse 10 of chapter 2 of Ephesians says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Here's a key statement that I want you to take with you. The heart of God is to demonstrate his love for others through us. The heart of God is to demonstrate his love for others through us. In this, in this verse that I just read, I believe that, as Paul writes to us, that works pertains to God's personal call on each of our lives. A call to reciprocate his love that is in us, through us, to the world around us, to those who are lost. It's a call of the highest significance because it carries with it, family, it carries with it the weight of eternal destiny. And I don't want you to miss this. The God of all creation could have chosen any modality, any vehicle, any method. He has the entire universe at his disposal. He could have chosen to use anything to display his love through, but instead of using anything else, he chose us, his children. He works through us to demonstrate his love to others. I want you to flip over to the right to James chapter 2. Let me show you something. James chapter 2. Let's begin in verse 14. Are you there? Which, by the way, every time I read the book of James, I just have to say this. If I didn't know better, if I, had, if I didn't study scripture, I would think that James is a brother. <laughs> really, I'm serious. Because James is always talking about my brothers. He's always saying that. Listen to what he says here. What good is it my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food, and one of you says to them, hey, man, peace, go your way, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Can you just hear him say, I could just hear him say that. What good is that? <laughs> so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But then someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith 
apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Now drop down to verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now I had to break this news to you, but it's starting to get dark at night and dark in the mornings, right? So we know what's coming next, don't we? I hate to break it to you. But the other day I was in my house and, and, um, and it's getting kind of dark, so I, I went to cut one of the lights on in my house. I have a little floor lamp, you know, that has a, has a little fo- a foot switch. And so I went to cut the light on in my house, and I clicked the, f- the foot switch, and nothing happened. So I, I clicked it again, and, and nothing happened. And so I traced the foot switch, I, sw- I traced the cord over to the outlet, and the, the lamp was unplugged. As a lamp without power, is dead. So faith without works is dead. Now, let me give you another illustration. You ever run your car almost on empty? You know, and the little light comes on and your your needle and your gas hand goes like down and, you know, And you say, you know what, I'm just going to go. I got to get to work because I'm late, so I'm going to go and get some gas when I get off of work. But then something happens. Maybe you remember you got to stop by the post office, you know. Maybe you remember you need to stop and get groceries. And so it's wintertime, and you run your car, right? And so you get in your car, and you're driving down the road. You get to the post office. You go, you know, I'll go get groceries. You go, and you're on your way to get groceries, and you pull into the parking lot, and you remember that you didn't get gas. Tell me that your faith doesn't kick in in that moment. Oh Lord, please, if you just, if I could just get to, if I could just get to the, to the gas station, please. Huh, come on now, like y'all haven't done that. And, and, and here's why, and here's why, because you know that it doesn't matter if you've got a high-performance car with a high-performance engine and if you've got a car with all the bells and whistles and all that stuff that happens. If that car runs out of gas, it is nothing but a dead weight. Just as a car without gas is dead, so faith without works is dead. I love what William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, writes about faith and Christianity. Today they posted a couple of, of, his, of his sayings about faith. He's, he's been gone for a long time, but this is profound. He says, faith and works should travel side by side, step answering step, like the legs of men walking. First faith, and then works, and then faith again, and then works again, until they can scarcely distinguish which is the one and which is the other. 
like a car without gas or like a light without power cannot fulfill its intended family purpose family listen to me a person professing faith in Jesus Christ without the corresponding action of faith of, of, of works cannot fulfill their intended purpose let me say that again a person professing faith in Christ without the corresponding action connected to it cannot fulfill their intended purpose we are called to be world changers family. And faith without action can't or won't change anything. God wants to demonstrate his love for others through us. So what does that demonstration look like? What does demonstrating the heart of God look like practically? There are two ways. First, investing. Investing our lives. Investing generously of ourselves and our resources so that I and others experience life in Christ. Let me tell you something. You, can't, you cannot invest your time, talents, treasure, and touch and not be affected by it. Not experience life in Christ. That's a good place to say a good amen. Investing is bringing the principle of biblical stewardship to all areas of our lives. I said it once, I'll say it again. Our time, our talent, our treasure, our touch. And there are plenty of opportunities. Opportunities abound for us to demonstrate life in Christ in that way. I got a call from a guy, a young man that's in our church. And he called me up. He said, Pastor, he says, and this is the essence of what he was saying. How can I demonstrate the life of Christ in this situation. He said, I was asleep. About 2.30 in the morning, I heard this crash. And a car, just a car just crashed into my neighbor's house. Nobody was hurt. He said, but they're an older couple. He says, and I want to know what I can do to demonstrate the life of Christ to this couple. Opportunities abound. Our treasure. I told you a couple weeks ago, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, I know, I know that summertime is coming to an end, and, and giving always takes a little dip in the, in the summer, you know. And, and so now you're coming back, and I know that many of you will start to give again. But let me tell you something. Did you know that giving is an act of worship and you miss out? on a spiritual blessing and benefit when you don't give? Did you know that? It's an act of worship, and God wants to get these spiritual benefits to you through the giving of your treasure. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, Paul writes, he says, And God, God wants to make grace abound towards you more and more. Why? So that you will have all sufficiency in all things for the reason to be able to abundantly give to every good work. God wants to bless us in that way. Giving, investing is a way to do that. You can give away your talent 
or your touch. You know, we have ministries here, children's ministry. You heard from Tammy a little earlier, student ministries, men and women's ministries. Each of these ministries operate under the principle of up in and out, enjoying God fully, being transformed together, demonstrating life in Christ together. All of us, every single ministry operates from that premise. And here's what I want you to hear. When it comes to the out, I love this phrase. I don't know where it came from, but it's rich. Each one, reach one. Each one, reach one. My brother, who was part of Phoenix First Assemblies for a long time, church of 15,000 people, said that Tommy Barnett would routinely stand up and say, Lord, just one soul today. Just one. I, I'm not asking you for 100. I'd love to have 100, but just give me. Just one today. I love has, how Paul defines this for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 19. And I'm reading out of the New English translation because I like this translation. Here's what he says. He says, for since I am free from all that I can make myself a slave to all. Since I am free from all, I can make myself a slave to all in order to gain even more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to gain the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to gain those under the law. To those free from the law, I became like one free from the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under the law of Christ, to gain those free from the law. To the weak, I became weak in order to gain the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all means I may save some. And I do all these things because of the gospel so that I can be a participant in it. The second practical application is sharing. Sharing our stories of life change, courageously inviting people to find life in Christ by telling how the gospel has changed and is currently still changing me today. Telling a fresh story that highlights the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. Every single one of us have a story. Every single one of us have a story. Are you listening to me? Every single one of us have a story. Now I want to close this sermon today and this series today by giving you, I think, a practical illustration of what life in Christ looks like for us. Enjoying God being transformed by his presence, and demonstrating life in Christ. And for that, I want to use a bag of Oval Redenbacher gourmet tender white popcorn. Have mercy. Y'all know this is my favorite kind. 
And here's why. Because, because when, this, it, when it pops, you don't have like the kernels in it. I love, I love this popcorn. And here's why I think this is an excellent metaphor for life in Christ. You see how this bag is just kind of conformed to the bag, you know, the kernels on the inside. They don't really, there's nothing to them. I mean, they just conform to the shape of the bag, you know. But then you take it out. And you open it up. And in just a couple of minutes, you're going to watch this bag of kernels and butter, have mercy, Jesus. <laughs> because everybody enjoys popcorn. I mean, almost everybody. You enjoy popcorn, don't you? Huh? There's somebody waving their hand back there. They must be in the spirit. Oh, glory to God. Everybody likes popcorn, man. So in just a few minutes, we'll be able to enjoy this popcorn, right? Now listen, I want you, I want you to listen. I want you to listen to this because, because, because this is important. So listen to this. So we put the popcorn in here. We start it. Come on. There you go. Yes. Yes, yes. No. <laughs> I shall not, but thank you for asking. Yeah, well, I'm on the stage. <laughs> listen, listen. Start off with nothing. Nothing. That's how our lives start off in Christ. He takes us from nothing. takes the, the, the pressures of life, the heat of life, and he transforms us. And David said it this way, though I be tried with fire, I'll come out as something different. I'll come out as pure gold. Every time you hear popcorn popping, I want you to think about the transforming power of Jesus Christ. In your life. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. God is good, isn't he? So here's what I love about popcorn. And I burn this popcorn a little bit. But here's what I like about popcorn. You see, I can, I can take this bag that was just a little simple, little flat bag of popcorn, and watch the transformation happen from a bag with just a few kernels. Smell that, Peter? It's good, isn't it? No, you can't have any. You can smell that way over there, can't you? Can you smell it? Mm-hmm. Yes. You can smell it. Here's my point. God wants to transform our lives, taking us from a lost person in sin, in darkness, conform to the world, take his power and transform our lives, put his fragrance all over us so that no matter where we go, 
the fragrance of God is with us, and we transform the world around us by life in Christ, by demonstrating life in Christ to a lost and dying world. Where are you, Roger? Man, I can still smell that popcorn. So I'm going to close with this. I said it once and I said it again. I'll say it again. The heart of God, family, is to use us to permeate this lost and dying world with the fragrance of his goodness and the fragrance of his love as he works his power in us and through us to the world. The question is, will you allow him? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this series. Thank you for an increased knowledge of what it means to enjoy you, be transformed by you, and then through the overflow of that transformation, demonstrate life in Christ to the world around us in a way that is infectious. I pray that you use each one of us to do that in our spheres of influence. In Christ's name, amen.